informational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hood Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And we like to remind you every week that we do have a special introductory offer for each of these letters uh, separately. Uh, you can uh, take advantage of a low-priced trial to see if they are uh, their works that would be of benefit to you. And you can call my assistant in New York, Claudio Bossi, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to our website at miningstocks.com. And I'd like to remind you each week as well that probably the best place to go to catch all of what I do to access this radio show, to uh, to uh, access the newsletters that I just mentioned, as well as a, a lot of the um, uh, Face the Analyst videos that I do, as well as uh, some television appearances and so forth, go to jtaylormedia, J-A-Y-TaylorMedia.com. Well, I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it the number one show on the business channel, uh, the Voice of America business channel. Uh, and I also, of course, want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, uh, our sponsors are Crocodile Gold Corp., Go West Gold Limited, Trevale Mining Corporation, Entertopia Corporation, Smash Minerals, Ariga Gold Corp., Sand Gold Corp., and Palangio Explorations, Inc. This week, our main guest is Peter Grandage, who returns to our show for the third time. Peter has a has had, over the decades, an uncanny ability to call major turning points in the markets. Uh, he is an independent thinker, and so you always get some refreshing new ideas from Peter. Maybe not always what you want to hear, but Peter is, is pretty bold about saying what he believes, and of course, that's what we welcome on this show. This show is very much orientated towards free market economics, civil liberties, and limited government. Unfortunately, the trend has been in the opposite direction for many decades. And this pathology, which is really fascist economics, that's the only way to describe it from what I can see, appears to be accelerating. This is a very depressing notion, but at the same time, what we try to do on this show is recognize this reality and prepare ourselves accordingly, as best we can. Ultimately, policymakers like Ben Bernanke cannot overcome natural market forces. That is why, in my view, the price of gold continues to rise, why gold and gold, gold and silver are able to preserve purchasing power. So while we may not be able to turn the tide politically, 
we must do what we can and what we're able to do prepare, to prepare ourselves and our families for the inevitable carnage that current policies will, will and are, in fact, bringing about. That means owning gold and, in many instances, gold mining shares. So today, in just a couple of minutes, I will be talking to Greg Romaine. He is the president and CEO of Go West Gold, one of our sponsors. We're going to find out about what that company's up to and more about its very attractive project in Ontario. Uh, it uh, already has a, a total resource of over a million ounces of gold. In the second hour, uh, after we finish with Peter Granich, I will be uh, passing along some of my own investment ideas, as well as those of Chen Lin and Roger Wiegan, uh, as well as my colleague Ted Ohashi of Investment Pitch, will also be joining me in the second hour. Before we go to our first commercial break and before we talk to Greg Romain, I have with me Ron Paul's Chief of Staff, Jeff Deist. Uh, and Jeff uh, is going to give us, uh, let us know what his boss is up to and, and what's going on in Washington, although I'm not sure in a few minutes he can, uh, he can really uh, chronicle all of that. But in any event, welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Jay. Good to be here. Well, it's always good to have you. Um, you know, I... I came across a quote this morning that uh, uh, that I think is accurate, uh, and I'm going to read it to you. It's it's from a, a former um, uh, a former lawyer, a successful lawyer who is now an actor in London, and he said, "In quote, I have never been more desperate to explain and more hopeful for you for your understanding of any single fact than this. The protests in Greece concern all of you directly." What is going on in Athens at the moment is resistance against an invasion, an invasion as brutal as that against Poland in 1939. The invading army wears suits instead of uniforms and holds laptops instead of guns. But make no mistake, the attack on our sovereignty is as violent and thorough. Private wealth interests are, distinct, are, are dictating policy to sovereign nation, which is expressly and directly against its natural interest. I uh, ignore it at your peril. Say to yourselves, if you wish, that perhaps it will stop there, that perhaps the bailiffs will not go after Portugal and Ireland next, and then Spain and the U.K. after that, but it is already beginning to happen. This is why you cannot afford to ignore these events, end of quote. Any comments on that, Jeff? Wow, a lot to digest there, but uh, I have to agree with most of it. I think that there are sort of supranational interests um, you could call them global elites uh, if, if you want to perhaps sound more sinister, but the, the bottom line here is there are people who certainly have an interest in, uh, in having a system that goes beyond any single nation. But what we're finding, Jay, is, is a bit of irony, which is that as the global system breaks down, i.e. governments are not able to provide the entitlement benefits they promised, uh, economies are bad, uh, tax revenues are down, etc., we're actually seeing a rise in nationalism. We're actually seeing uh, people start to punch holes in and question the globalist ethos of, of the last 25 years. And so it's going to be interesting. And I think, I think Europe's a little ahead of America here. But, um, mm -hmm. you, know, the, uh, you know, we're going to see <clears throat> what these countries do, whether they start turning inward when uh, they're faced with these austerity measures. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly the uh, the globalists have the guns, I would guess, unless the uh, the people locally, uh, you know, refuse to to serve orders from on high. But certainly, 
uh, it would seem if uh, the globalists are led by the United States and we're the spoils of World War II, the, the IMF, the World Bank, and even the United Nations, I guess, would be sort of the institutions that grew out of World War II. And in uh, the United States, I, correct me if I'm wrong, you would probably know better than I, but I believe the U.S. spends more on military, on its military hardware than all the rest of the world put together. How long can we continue to do this, Jeff? Uh, first of all, is that correct? Is that your understanding? That, that, is, that is correct, I believe, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's going to be interesting as to how long we can do it. That's really up to our creditors. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to say it, but e- even as we are mired, bogged down in the Middle East in its intractable uh, biblical wars, mm-hmm. um, the, the Chinese, the Russians, the Indians... The Brazilians, they have to be having a good laugh at our expense, Jay, because they're busy working on hard assets, you know, mm-hmm. oil, natural resources, mm-hmm. um, uh, real assets. They're, they're working on their economies and their currency, um, and especially the, the Russians have to just be delighted at the fact that we've, we've taken their basket case, Afghanistan, and made it our own, uh, you know, anchor, our own albatross. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is totally unsustainable, and... and the only silver lining, if you might want to call it that, is that the neoconservatives and the, 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 uh, the really, the, it's really a leftist utopian ideology of policing the world and nation building. That's, mm-hmm. It's not a conservative ideology in any no. sense of the word. Uh, there, it doesn't really matter whether they've won the debate or lost the debate. We're simply going to run out of money, mm-hmm. and their foreign policy is going to fail. Mm-hmm. It's going to come to an end. And it really won't matter, um, uh, you know, what, who you vote for and, and, and how the debate is presented, whether American exceptionalism, and it, it, you know, is, it should be spread and all, and all these kind of arguments. It just won't matter. The, the bottom line is we just won't be able to pay for it. So, so we'll come home eventually. Well, certainly we see what's going on in Greece, and uh, we know that, that it is not – uh, that we are not separated from that. Uh, your boss was was uh, suspicious some time ago about the possibility of the two trillion dollars or so that Mr. Bernanke printed, uh, created out of nothing. Uh, that a good portion of that might have been going to bail out European banks. We see European banks are into Greece in a big way. I saw some number here. I think it was. Um, uh, I forget which country. Germany maybe that had a trillion dollars of, of loans into Greece. Now we see uh, then after Bloomberg won its law, uh, its, uh, its legal case, and the Fed was forced to reveal where it put that $2 trillion. Indeed, a good bit of it did go to uh, European banks uh, to bail them out. So, I mean, is this, is it, this is, would it seem to be a global problem, Jeff, that, uh, that does not bode well uh, for the future one way or another? It seems to me we're faced again with this with a likely pathology of either some sort of hyperinflation or a deflationary uh, depression. Does that seem far, far-fetched far to you? Well, no, it doesn't, unfortunately. And, of course, the manner in which we, the public, obtained this information was like pulling teeth. First, after years and years and years of efforts by Congressman Paul and some others, we finally got a very limited amount of uh, sort of a very limited audit of the Fed in terms of financial disclosure in the Dodd-Frank bill that was passed last year. So uh, the, in December, the Fed was forced to, to release some documents. And then we had the Bloomberg uh, federal case, uh, Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, where the Fed was this year you know, forced to, to release some more documents. What we basically found from all of that, and it's, it's been a painstaking process to go through, was that uh, when you look at the Fed's uh, 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 
credit facilities and its, its um, emergency lending facility of the last few years since the Lehman Brothers meltdown in 08, basically the, 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 the Fed has purchased or, or given out about almost $18 trillion. Holy cow. Um, as, as best as we can tally, about $5 trillion of that was made available to foreign banks. Huh. And it, it's interesting to note that this was through the New York Fed to individual foreign banks. This wasn't routed through the ECB, for instance. Um, individual foreign banks could actually come to the New York Fed um, as an applicant. And, it, of course, as was disclosed later, one of those foreign banks was, in effect, the Libyan Central Bank that, that at the time was partially owned but later came to be uh, wholly owned by Mr. Gaddafi. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's not the first time that we've... Um, given money and, and, in effect, U.S. taxpayer dollars uh, to our would-be future enemies. Well, no, that's, that's certainly the case, uh, as we heard in World War II uh, from another guest that was on this show some time ago. Well, Jeff, your boss has been involved in a subcommittee hearing. Uh, he has, ha- has led a subcommittee hearing or a series of hearings uh, calling in various members of the Fed and discussing Fed policy. What has come out of that so far? Well, we've been encouraged. We've had uh, several hearings this year. We're going to keep up the pace. We're going to have more. We're going to have one this Thursday on the uh, the goal uh, on a bill that my Congressman Paul introduced to uh, have a an audit of the uh, Federal Reserve's gold holdings. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, we uh, in our most recent hearings we had uh, the General Counsel from the from the Washington D.C. Uh, Fed office um, here, you know, uh, talking about some of the redactions and some of the omissions, at least mm-hmm. in our opinion, uh, from these, these recent financial disclosures. So, you know, it's bit by bit. It's, it's not uh, glamorous, and it, it's not necessarily easy to hold the public's attention yeah. to the nitty-gritty details, but it, it, you know, it has to be done. Um, uh, Congressman Paul has a couple of staffers in his office who, who do that basically as their sole job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we feel like it's kind of a David and a Goliath of sorts. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, we are plugging away. And, and if nothing else, um, you know, uh, the Federal Reserve and monetary policy is now covered. It's now in the news. It's now considered something that affects us as opposed to just sort of a, uh, a uh, wonkish policy issue. It may be a David and Goliath issue, Jeff, but I can tell you one thing for sure. At the grassroots, Ron Paul is extremely popular and gaining popularity every day. Uh, what can people, how can people watch this upcoming hearing? Because I think it's really important, especially to the listeners in this show and investors in the gold market. Is the gold really there? We don't know. The gold antitrust action, people have been questioning it. There's evidence to believe it may not be, or if it is, does it belong to the United States, or has it been, uh, has it been promised to other countries, you know, leased out to other countries? These are questions that need to be answered. How can people follow the, uh, the hearings next week? Well, there's a couple of ways. They might be able to find it on, or at least portions of it, on a Bloomberg or a CNBC, uh, you know, a financial-type network. Uh, but it's this coming Thursday, uh, the day after tomorrow. It's from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. But one sure way they can find it is to just go to www.house.gov, which is the House of Representatives' main website, and there they can click on the link to the Financial Services Committee. And the okay. Financial Services Committee uh, has a live stream of, uh, of all of their hearings. So it, it'll stream live on that website uh, this Thursday from 2 to 4. Okay, folks, you better do it. You better try to keep up with what's going on because these are very, very important issues. I want to thank you, Jeff. I wish we had more time. We do have to take our first commercial break. 
Uh, so thank you very much, Jeff. Thank and we'll you. look forward to talking to you soon again for another update. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Greg Romain, of, uh, the President and CEO of Go West Gold. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Dravali Mining Corporation is building the next mid-tier silver, lead, zinc, and copper producer in the Americas by bringing two new polymetallic mines into production over the next several months. The Half Mile Mine in New Brunswick, Canada is scheduled to come on stream this fall and will be followed by the Santander Mine in Peru, where the company is on schedule for mill commissioning by the end of this year. Exploration is active on both projects that remain open for resource expansion. Dravali trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol TV. Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Greg Romain, the president and CEO of Go West Gold. It, uh, it's a junior mining company that trades in the Toronto Exchange under the symbol GWA. You can buy it in the United States in the over-the-counter market under the symbol GWSAF. 
trading at around well, somewhere between 28 and 30 cents. I think 28 and a half cents earlier I saw today with 97.7 million shares outstanding means it has a market cap of $28 million in spite of the fact that it has a combined resource uh, of nearly 1.2 million ounces of gold near surface, high grade, around 6 grams per ton. That uh, resource is broken down between indicated 348,000 ounces and inferred 838 or 839,000 ounces. Welcome, Greg, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, Jay, thank you very much for having me on the on the call today. It's really good to have you on the show, and uh, we are always looking for uh, undervalued junior mining companies. So let's try to see uh, if this your company, Go West Gold, is one of those. Uh, as I look at it, <clears throat> doing the math, we're looking at something like the market is valuing the gold in the ground at $23.59 thereabouts. Um, you know, it's taking, of course, all categories, the, those that I just mentioned, and now I'm going to be talking a little later in the show about uh, some of the prices that the major mining companies are paying for gold in the ground when, you know, for companies that have a million, two, three, four, several million. And admittedly, a lot of these projects will have a lot of exploration potential. But, you know, we're seeing $500 an ounce sometimes. Uh, I saw $715 for a project that um, uh, um, one of the majors bought recently uh, in British Columbia, I believe it was, you know, uh, some really high numbers. Uh, and, of course, it has a lot to do with what stage of development you're in. So, so talk to us a little bit about your lead project uh, that is in, uh, that's in Ontario. Um, what, I'm, I'm forgetting the name. Oh, it's the Frankfield, the Frankfield Gold Project in Ontario. Where, uh, where are you at in that project now? And if you just tell us a little bit, we know you have the 1.2 million ounces. But how far advanced is this project? Uh, the project is located uh, in the Timmins Gold Camp, where historically there's been a lot of gold uh, mined, uh, close to 70 million ounces over the last 100 years. Um, the project, when we started the project uh, back in uh, June or January 2010, we started with a resource of a half a million ounces, uh, just a little over six grams. Uh, we raised uh, about seven million dollars. And what we want to do is uh, drill and find the size of this envelope, uh, expand on the envelope, and, and which we did. And in June, uh, first, we announced the, the resource update, which you just talked about. Um, our goal is to get this, uh, this, this uh, deposit into uh, production sooner rather than later to capture the high price of gold. I think it's important for, for readers to note that uh, prior to 2010, uh, this project was a 50-50 joint venture between GoS and a privately held company. Uh, I started in 2008. It took me almost nine months to uh, get a deal with the privately held company, and then we really only started working on this in 2010. Uh, so uh, although we've been marketing, uh, there's obviously a lot more we have to do on that side to uh, promote the company, but uh, there's a set skill here uh, that uh, uh, in, within management uh, that uh, and on the board uh, who've been around that develop mines from... Uh, from small exploration right into uh, major uh, major assets that uh, were eventually sold off. When do you expect to uh, to come out with some uh, economic studies, uh, maybe some preliminary economic studies? Is that something that you might get to this year yet? Yes, we're uh, we're anticipating to put out a preliminary economic assessment, or some people refer to a scoping study, uh, this coming fall. Uh, probably looking towards the end of September, early October. Uh, what, what, what I think separates GoS from a lot of the uh, small junior exploration companies is the set skill, as I spoke to a, a, a minute ago. Uh, I think it's very important that you have both an asset and management and a board, 
and also advisors. Mm-hmm. And in this case, we have both. And, and so we've been working on this in parallel. Not only have we been pushing the, uh, the, the exploration side, but we've also been working diligently on the uh, engineering side of things. Uh, we started our, 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 um, our baseline environmental studies uh, almost two years ago this uh, summer, and we're just going to be completing that, and we'll be putting, uh, our, uh, we'll be putting together our, uh, our uh, uh, final application in uh, later this year, early next year, uh, uh, to get our permits to, to mine this. So uh, there's a lot of things we've been doing. Uh, we've also signed non-disclosure agreements with uh, uh, one of the milling facilities in Timmins because in the short term, we're looking at contract mining using existing infrastructure in Timmins. And then in the long term, we've also been looking at uh, building our own facility. Our view, although we're at about 1.2 million ounces when you combine the inferred and indicated, it's our view that this will be a multi-million ounce deposit as we move forward. And, uh, you, know, I, 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 you know, it wouldn't surprise me that we get in around the 2 million ounce mark uh, late this year, early next year. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, that's, that was one question I wanted to ask you about the, uh, about the, you know, what sort of size deposit you think you need before it would make sense to build a mine, uh, build a mill, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, and you do have uh, custom milling facilities, I guess, excess, excess capacity at some places mm-hmm. nearby. Um, now, this is, this is a deposit that goes to depth, though. I don't believe there's a lot of long strike, is it? Is, uh, you are fairly shallow, though, and one of the things that interests me is your grades are fairly high, around 6 grams. You, uh, there is a potential, I guess, at least you're not going to have to go way down deep uh, in order to get to the gold, whether you, use, whether you open pit it or, or go in with a ramp. Um, what, what, where, how deep down does the mineralization start on this project? Yeah, I think to answer that question, uh, we started with a when we started back in 2010, it was a 450 meter strike length. Today, this, that strike length, the resource that we came out with was based on about a 750 meter strike length. I can tell you that we're out to about 800, 850 meters now. Mm-hmm. In terms of depth, uh, the original deposit, the original 500,000 ounce uh, deposit, was 450 meter strike length. 90% of it was down to about 400 meters. We are now cur- currently drilling holes down at 1,000 meters. That is about as mm. deep as we will go uh, on, on, uh, in terms of drilling this envelope. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the holes that were reported in the, uh, the current updated resource were down at about eight, the 800-meter mark. Mm. Um, so uh, as we move forward, we're going to be infilling more of the holes uh, uh, within the first couple hundred meters. There's a couple of areas in the um, central part of the uh, deposit, like in the five, 600-meter uh, where the spaces were fairly large that we've got to tighten up, which we're doing now. And uh, like I said a minute ago, there's a couple of holes around the 1,000-meter mark uh, that we're just completing as well. Yeah, I think it's important to note that the, the indicated was around 6.8 grams. The inferred was 6 grams, but again, that's due because of the big spacings. And mm-hmm. obviously, as we drill a few more holes, we will be able to tighten that up. And, mm-hmm. and we're seeing the grades and widths uh, come up as we uh, go further afield. Mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I think it's important to note, too, that in the Timmins camp, uh, when you compare Go West to those such as uh, Lakeshore Gold, mm-hmm. um, also um, uh, Gold Corp, Poil Pond, uh, Kirkland Lake Gold, uh, these, these, uh, these, uh, these companies are now down the, the one, one and a half, two kilometer mark in exploring mm-hmm. and finding lots of gold. So these deposits continue at depth, and, uh, and that's why we're pretty confident and saying that as a multi-million ounce uh, resource, and you know, eventually you would build a standalone, uh, standalone mine. But I think in the short term, uh, again, to try to generate cash flow, I think it's, 
I think it's important to unlock the, uh, the, the opportunities now as opposed to waiting for later. Well, how soon do you think you might be able to do that? I know this is a forward-looking statement. You have to be careful, but yep. uh, what, what, is the, uh, what is the timetable, if you have one, in terms of when you might be able to get some cash flow through custom milling? Uh, we're looking at uh, mine development late 2012, uh, so probably be looking at cash flow in 2013, uh, mid-2013, towards the end of 2013, is our, is our, is our plan that we've uh, talked to uh, uh, repeatedly, and we've also mentioned that in, uh, in, in most of our press releases. Again, it's forward-looking, but what I can say uh, is that so far everything we've done has pretty much been on plan, with the exception of the resource. We were a couple months late on that, but uh, two main reasons for that. One is we learned a lot more when we were drilling, um, and we had to go back and look at uh, the older holes that were drilled back in the 80s and, and, and re-log them. That took a little extra time. And at the same time, a lot of the independents uh, that, are, uh, that are doing the 43-101 work are extremely busy, so uh, we got pushed a little bit on that timeline. But saying that, it also allowed us to put in uh, some more holes that we drilled in that time frame as well. So uh, our original goal was to get to about a million ounces on the first pass. We, we, we surpassed that, and uh, again, at a three-gram cutoff. If we go into the one-and-a-half-gram cutoff, you're looking closer to 1.4 million ounces. And the reason we show that in our, in our press release is because uh, we've been testing uh, x-ray ore sorting, and we've had pretty good success with that, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we're hoping to use that, and that means we can bulk mine, which would really change the cost uh, on, the, uh, on the mine side. So, mm-hmm. again, it's a lot for the listener, but I guess what I'm really trying to say is that we're working diligently on both exploration and, and, uh, and on the operation side as well. Well, certainly we'll know more when you have the preliminary assessment, that economic assessment will give us a better sense and you'll be able to talk more definitively about cost. What about cash in the bank now and how well situated are you or will you have to go back to the market sometime soon? Uh, Currently we have around $2 million of cash. Uh, There's about 21 million warrants outstanding. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those warrants are at 30 cents. uh, at the beginning of the year, we were, we were looking at about uh, 24 million, 25 million warrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those have been exercised. Uh, there's been quite a few exercises since the beginning of the year. Um, and, you know, to carry us through our, 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 uh, uh, our exploration and the work that we need to do, we've got enough cash to take us through, through our winter program and into the first quarter. Um, and, again, uh, hope, uh, hoping that... Uh, that we'll see more of the warrants exercised as well. So, All right. Well, we're running out of time, unfortunately. Is there anything no else you'd like to say before we uh, conclude our discussion today? Uh, I just would say that uh, Go West is undervalued. Uh, there's great upside, and I think this is a great time to become a Go West shareholder. Well, I think you certainly can probably say that based on that valuation we mentioned a little earlier, $23, $24. Sure. Uh, of course, uh, these uh, every project is different, so uh, we will look for the uh, preliminary economic assessment. That will be very uh, interesting uh, to look forward to that. I want to thank you very much, Greg, for being with us today, and I hope we can have you back sometime in the not-too-distant future. Folks, don't go away. We're going to have Peter Grandage coming up with us. Peter always has a lot of very interesting, insightful things to say. He has called some major turns in the market. And he's someone that I think is always worth listening to, so you don't want to miss Peter Granich coming up right after the break. Don't go away.
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Auriga Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Auriga's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000-ton-per-day mill, developed underground rent, year-round roads, and exploration access. Auriga plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Auriga Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AIA. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite, with operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-ten gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www. Dravali Mining Corporation is building the next mid-tier silver, lead, zinc, and copper producer in the Americas by bringing two new polymetallic mines into production over the next several months. The Half Mile Mine in New Brunswick, Canada is scheduled to come on stream this fall and will be followed by the Santander Mine in Peru, where the company is on schedule for mill commissioning by the end of this year. Exploration is active on both projects that remain open for resource expansion. Dravali trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol TV. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me Peter Granich, a long-term friend. How long has he been a friend? Well, I guess we go back to um, early to mid-80s, probably, about the time I started writing my own newsletter. Um, Peter was sometimes had a, had a very, very uh, good start, uh, uh, made some great calls early in his career uh... without any formal education but you know what a lot of times i like to say the most disadvantaged people in the market trying to understand what's really going on are the guys in economics with a phd behind their name why because they have been orientated away from reality they've been taught keynesian economics which is a socialist philosophy i like to call it communist light 
Keynesianism, which is what is being taught in our economics classes 101, really sort of puts the blinders on people and keeps them from seeing what's really going on, what's really going on out in the markets and in the streets. And Peter Granich is certainly one very street smart investor. He's been around a long time, uh, quite a while. And uh, as I say, and he's had a number of very, uh, very, very good calls. Welcome, Peter, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Glad to be back, Jake. And it's about 1987 or 88 when we first met. Okay, that would make sense. So a, a little later than I than I was thinking. I started it's writing. It's still here. long ago. It was a while ago. It yes. was a while ago, and lots of things have happened since then. Uh, sort of the, the uh, I'm remembering a highlight: uh, the miraculous birth of your daughter. She's off in in college now, um, doing very well, Tara. Uh, and you've you've had uh, a lot of very interesting experiences. We've had a lot of good uh, good discussions in the past, and I always enjoy listening to your views on the markets because I do believe you bring in a dimension that is uh, that's not very common, and. Um, uh, and, and it is partly that that street smart uh, uh, intelligence that you bring that you bring into the equation that uh, a lot of people are missing. Well, you uh, called the uh, at, in 2000, the year 2000. You were absolutely right when you suggested that this was the top of the great mega bull market. Um, do you think, as Ian McAvity uh, opined on this show a couple of weeks ago, that uh, we are still in a secular bear market? Well, you know, the best way to describe almost 27 years in and around this thing is, is there's been three ultimate calls, uh, 87, calling the crash, and then going in the next day, as you said, in 2000. And then in the uh, fall of 2007, mm-hmm. for only the third time in history, uh, I suggested shorting the market. Then in March of 2009, I looked for what I thought was going to be the greatest bear market rally ever, and while uh, ending that bull run after the election, I've remained in what I've coined to my readers in a chicken coop. I have not been prepared to bet on the top of the stock market yet. Uh, while not uh, advocating being bullish, I've not bet against it. Because, and you probably heard this description before, uh, and I'm not the first to use it, but realistically the market and the economy in general has been surviving on financial heroin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like heroin to a drug addict, only this heroin has come out of the Federal Reserve and Congress, and uh, we, we created so much money that it, it's been overpowering, and it's, it, it's kept at bay the horrific, and I mean horrific, fundamentals that exist. It, it, the things that caused us to go bad in 2007 and 2008 have not gone away, Jay. That's the bad, real bad news. It's, mm-hmm. We've not done anything to improve our situation. The only thing we've done is we've, we've made the patient so numb with so much money thrown at it that at the moment the pain and agony they were feeling then has been numbed away, but it's not gone away. In fact, it's gotten worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the only thing that I haven't done yet is I haven't picked the spot to say, okay, this is the time to, uh, to make a bet that it's about to go back down and back down hard again. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a crash like last time. I continue to believe what what is happening in the United States and unfolding is a lot like what happened in Japan after it peaked in 1989. And uh, this is a, a great bear market rally. I don't expect it to get back anywhere near the old highs. And then I expect the market to roll over again in the next wave 
uh, while not as severe from the onslaught, will last a lot longer, and the true problems will come to the surface to the point where we won't need to look to Greece or Spain or the Middle East for problems that we're seeing on TV. We're going to see them right here in the United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. Well, Peter, I'd be interested in knowing, um, you say you don't expect a crash, uh, sort of sort of a low, uh, a slow grind, I guess, uh, like Japan had. You might not then ever take an aggressive short, huh? I may not, but I'm not long. And I'll tell you this, the one thing I would urge people, different than when you and I were back in the 80s and the 90s, and, and, and it's clear and evident this, I don't think there's, my opinion is there's no argument on what I'm about to say, and that is the United States is no longer the economic engine that pulls the world around. So, you know, 20 years ago, if the United States caved, you know, the world was caving. So even though I suspect that the United States is going to greatly underperform, the economy is not going to do great, I do think there'll be other areas of the world that will do well. So even though uh, I don't see myself, maybe in my lifetime, being aggressively bullish again in U.S. equities, there could come a time when I could find myself looking in places like Asia, particularly China and India, some select areas in South America and even in in Europe. Mm -hmm. But I don't think uh, I will, in my lifetime at age 55, ever be aggressively long general equities in the U.S. again because I believe the problems are acute and it's going to take a generation or more to really, uh, even if we start it tomorrow to do what's necessary, it'll take a generation or more before we even see real results from those efforts. Mm-hmm. Peter, I'm in- interested in knowing um, how you turned bullish in 2009 because I didn't. You, uh, I remember, I think I was listening to you in Vancouver or someplace, I can't remember, or one of the shows, and I dropped in on one of your talks, and, and you had absolutely called it right. You had gone bullish. I know that another uh, person on this show who's always bearish, a very, very severe bear, Robert Prechter, got it right, too, in that regard. But what did you see then uh, and that caused you to become bullish in 2009, and what would you need to see now to, to really cause you to be very bearish right now? Well, you know, I'm going to answer you the last part first because the only – I am very bearish, but I'm not bearish to the point where I'm willing to bet against the market because, like I said, there's been just so much money that's been created. You know, I, I had a friend that had a store, and there was a lot of people in the store, so he thought he was doing very good. What he didn't know was – his pilferage was about 30 40%, but his sales were so overwhelming, it looked like he was making a lot of money. Uh-huh. And it was only when he got an economic slowdown that he realized he was actually doing bad all along. Uh-huh. That's where the U.S. right is right now. The only thing that's kept us going, think about this. It's hard for, I don't know why it is for the average American, maybe they don't have the time or the desire to pay attention to it. But think about this. We're a debtor nation, so just just think we were just us. We're a debtor. Mm-hmm. So each day we have to borrow something from somebody in order to survive. In this case, we have to borrow money. And the way we borrow that money is, uh, you know, I'm sure you've at nauseam have gone over this with your listeners, but, mm-hmm. you know, we create money out of air. And then, mm-hmm. we, we, you know, we sell this paper through the Treasury, and, and that's how we fund our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. Well, 70% of that uh, funding has been the United States itself buying it. And you would have to scratch your head and go, wait a minute. If you're telling me I'm a debtor and I'm floating the debt, 
but I'm also buying the debt, 70% of it. How could that be? Mm-hmm. Well, what are we going to do if and when whatever QE or whatever they call the next one and ever has to come to an end where we can't buy the majority of our debt? What's going to replace it? So there's an inevitability coming, Jay. I don't know the date and the time, mm-hmm. but I know it's coming. Mm-hmm. And, and the difficulty is this time around is the world is smart, is, is getting smart on this. Mm-hmm. China is extremely upset mm-hmm. about the United States. We've had at least six emergency meetings in the last six months where powers of B have gone to each other. And then we learn a few weeks later the Chinese sold all the tre- U.S. Treasury bills, and they're now net net sellers of bonds. We're seeing other areas of the world become very concerned about America's situation and all. And one day, and I don't know the day, and it may be longer than even you or I anticipate, but one day the problems we see in Greece and others where people have gotten into too much debt, you just never have proven in history that more debt solves debt problems, Mm -hmm. it'll hit the shores of the U.S. Now, we had a little bit of what the silver unrest can look like when we looked at what took place in in uh, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, here in New Jersey, uh, in the last couple of days, we've had very strong protests by uh, civil service workers because the governor here and uh, seemingly the majority of the Democrats are are finally ready to try to fix the enormous pension problems we have here. And we've seen what unrest that's caused among civil workers. And I think the day comes when politicians finally have to tell America, you can't get the Medicare that you used to get you're not going to be able to collect the Social Security the way you are. Oh, and by the way, we're going to have to tax you more. I don't think Americans are going to look at it any different than anywhere else in Europe and the Middle East and revolt against their politicians. So mm-hmm. there's an ugly day coming. There's a penalty to come. I just haven't picked that day yet, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Jay. And to answer your question about March 2009 mm-hmm. and going long, it was more technical than anything else. It mm-hmm. was technical things from technical factors uh, that suggested. And then, of course, once they got into the easing mode, let's not forget we, we already had QE1. You know, we mm-hmm. live into two. But once I saw them creating the money the way they would, I know how the don't worry, be happy crowd on Wall Street works. I used to work for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew they would peddle that as a good thing for the market and you don't stand in its way. Remember the old saying we used to say they don't say it so much anymore, don't fight the Fed. Right. Right. They don't say it so much anymore. Well, because in part, because people know that, um, that that it isn't working, that the narcotic is wearing off, that it takes more and more drugs faster and faster to uh, to, to get any kind of um, uh, results, positive results in the economy from it. Well, Peter, you you know, we've got this enormous problem. Um, what, what you're talking to me about, what's going on in New Jersey and Wisconsin, really looks like what's going on in Greece right now. We have uh, municipal governments and and state governments around this country that are really, really in bad shape. Your state, my state here in New York, California, of course, uh, but Ohio. I mean, virtually all of the most of the most of the more heavily industrialized uh, states and the heavily more heavily populated states are all having big problems. Um, Do you? So do. But what this thing that's going on in Greece is not unrelated. We were just talking to Jeff Deist a little while ago, Ron Paul's chief of staff, and he was talking about how the enormous amount of money, something like 27, if I go back on my notes here, 27 trillion dollars of stimulus that's come out uh, over the last few years, and that a big portion of that went to bail out the banks in Europe. Okay, I've got the numbers here. I'm sorry, 18 trillion. Jeff said, five trillion of which has gone to bail out. 
uh, European banks, and that is those are numbers that came out of Ron Paul's subcommittee hearings, I believe. Um, so this is not an isolated problem. We have a global, let's say the Western world at least, is in big trouble because we've all lived beyond our means for so long. And I know you like to talk about how we all have to have so much stuff. We go out and rent, uh, rent storage. Public storage. Right. And, and we, buy, we keep buying stuff that doesn't make us happy. We're trying to become, we're trying to gain some sort of happiness and contentment from stuff and things. And um, Anyway, we've done it without, and we haven't worked for it. I mean, we've, we've put it on the credit card, and now the credit cards are all used up, and we can't, uh, it, we have to be close to some sort of a, uh, of, of, a, of a day of reckoning here. But do you see this Greek thing? I know that you're you're pretty uh, related to Ireland. Your wife is from Ireland. I know you go there. <clears throat> What's the mood like in Ireland? And and do you think that that Ireland is going to soon see what Greece is going through now? Is this a contagion that's going to? Is that what's going to trigger something in the U.S.? Do you think? Because a lot well, of the bank, you know, banks, U.S. banks have money over there. The whole thing that's been wrong in this, and the the ironicness is, uh, bondholders were bailed out completely mm-hmm. 100, 100 cents on the dollar in Ireland uh, in Greece mm-hmm. and the one country where they weren't which everybody said would fall off the face of the earth when they chose not to Iceland although it's mm-hmm. small relative to them now is in much better shape because they didn't do the bailouts that uh-huh. we've seen in Greece others uh-huh. and here in the US uh-huh. the difference in Ireland right now is is the people have been more willing at the moment to accept the austerity measures but here's mm-hmm. the problem there's only one or two answers in Greece. Okay, the, it, mm-hmm. long term, there's only the, the debt has to be renegotiated, monetized, or and or uh, forgiven. You know, mm-hmm. and Defaulted. or they're going to pull out of the European Union. There's mm-hmm. just no way people in the stronger countries are going to continue to do that. Now the problem is when that happens. If I'm in Ireland, I'm going to say, wait a minute. If the Greece are walking away from their debt, why should mm-hmm. we continue to honor ours? In fact, the new government in Ireland has already started banging the drums about redoing the deal that they agreed to before and making these bondholders and banks take some of the hits so it doesn't fall out on the people. It's a dominoes effect, and that's the biggest fear everybody has. But what I find ironic in all of this, when you think about years ago when anything remotely like this happened, we saw a tremendous rally in the U.S. dollar. Uh-huh. The U.S. dollar was truly back then a safe haven, and the dollar can't get out of its own way. Despite all this, the euro is not going down, mm-hmm. which to me is a signal that right now people who really know with the biggest of money have the biggest connections already know that despite as bad as it is there, it's not too far in the distance when it's even going to get worse here, and that's why they're not willing to make any type of bet on us for any length of time. <laughs> Where do you think the big money is going, Peter? Uh, you know, you, we see the big banks, the big, uh, the, the big investment bankers get to still get there. They lose trillions of dollars, uh, billions and hundreds of billions of dollars with bad loans, and they still get to take home their big bonuses at the end of the year. I can't believe. That, I mean, I can't believe that all that money is staying in the U.S. I'm, I'm betting that a lot of it is going to foreign real estate. It might be going to gold, even from the boys at Goldman Sachs and all of. I don't. What, what's your hunch? Well, I don't think we need a hunch. We can actually look at some of the country net flows. Let's look at the credit of nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the biggest one is China. And what is China doing? China is buying up hard assets. They're buying things that they can use in the future, not things that they spin off now, have a good time, and there's nothing left. 
like like you said earlier, the biggest problem with America is we've been robbing Peter to pay Paul. Mm-hmm. America bought into a big lie that was created by Wall Street and and Main Street uh, advertisers that more money equals more happiness. They've yeah. been trying to keep up with the Joneses ever since, and we've truly mortgaged not only our children's but our grandchildren's future because of that. And the net result is that there's never been a time, never in all of history, when a debt problem was solved by creating more debt. So the end result is there there is a a universal horrific problem coming. I don't know the date, Jay, and I would say to myself, you know, if I had to pick a date, I don't think it's more than several months away. I don't think it could be sustained anymore because the big, big money around the world is already moving away from the United States. China is digressing away from it. Uh, Russia, some uh, some countries in the Middle East, they're moving away from the assets. In fact, if not for us, in a sense, buying our own debt, interest rates and bonds would be a lot higher. So even the uh, PIMCO Bill Gross move, while he's getting a lot of flack for it, he might have moved a year too early. But one thing I learned in finances, Jay, maybe you'll agree, is I'd rather be five years too early than one day too late. Yeah, exactly right. And and there was something about a dead duck that you used to talk about. I can't remember the line. Um, Yeah, so we have about a minute left before the break. Uh, There's a couple more topics I want to cover with you as we get into the second. uh, We'll get about 15 or 20 minutes on the other side of the hour. But, um, you know, one is this, you know, what you're saying, the day of reckoning can't be too far away. And the big question in my mind, Peter, is which way are we going to go? Is it going to be towards inflation or deflation? We've got to go to a break now, and as soon as we come back, uh, I'd like to address that question. So uh, you can uh, think about that. And then there's another question about the U.S. military. We have the mightiest military in the world. Can't we use that military, perhaps, to just keep living beyond the means? So. These are a couple of questions I want to I want to pose to you on the other side of the break. So we're going to go now to uh, hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Peter Granich. Don't go away. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Entertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Entertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CNN. SX Exchange. Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. Origa Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Origa's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000-ton-per-day mill, developed underground rent, year-round roads, and exploration access. Origa plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Origa Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AIA. 
Dravali Mining Corporation is building the next mid-tier silver, lead, zinc, and copper producer in the Americas by bringing two new polymetallic mines into production over the next several months. The Half Mile Mine in New Brunswick, Canada is scheduled to come on stream this fall and will be followed by the Santander Mine in Peru, where the company is on schedule for mill commissioning by the end of this year. Exploration is active on both projects that remain open for resource expansion. Dravali trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol TV. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt, and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 